Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Nuanced Life, which truly feels like a connected extension of last week's Nuanced Life, where we talked about advocacy for others. Today, we're going to talk about doing small things that have an enormous impact. And we're going to start that with our kind of cultural conversation where we're just thinking about big ideas. David Brooks has an article in The Atlantic called The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. And Sarah, this morning, Chad came over, I was reading it, and he said, what is that? And I said, it's called The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. And he rolled his eyes so hard. And I said, well, let me share with you what it's about. And he starts nodding along. And I was like, right. So so we're on the same page here. You just don't like the title. <laughs> and I think that's the thing. Like, it can provoke a strong reaction when you start to talk about something as personal as how we set up our lives and our families. And what David Brooks has to say is an incredibly thoughtful and nuanced, complicated argument about the ways over time, small acts have fundamentally shifted the way that we organize ourselves in our most important social structures. Well, and I think that it's a really interesting examination about how this institution, which plays out in small ways, it sits at this intersection of politics and culture. And so policy is not going to always have impact on something as small as the family when you want to promote it. Unfortunately, policy can have a massive amount of impact on tearing that institution apart, which is what he's arguing, that basically the nuclear family had like a a small brief golden age (laughs) in the 1950s and part of the 1960s. But before then, you saw a more extended family model, particularly when farming was the centerpiece of American life. And as we move to industrialization, you see this breakup of the extended family. You see all these increasing economic pressures moving further and further down onto mother, father, 2.5 kids. That This institution, which is not supported politically or even sometimes culturally, was not capable of hand- handling. And what you see is that that impact has had devastating consequences, particularly for people, for minority groups, for people lower on the socioeconomic ladder. And I think he just does a really beautiful job of saying, I know it's uncomfortable to talk about family because it is personal, um, because it is private, but the impact of family and what family we idealize, what what structure of family we actually support through policy decisions, what 
the economy at any given moment is doing to the family is really, really, really important. I couldn't stop thinking about the economy as I read this piece and about how I think all those policy decisions that have made it hard on families have been in service of some particular notion of the economy and how all our individual choices that have jeopardized our familial support structures are also in service of some particular notion of the economy. And the statistics in this article are just gut punches, especially so crazy. as he talks about how even during that golden age, the 1950s and 60s, it wasn't golden for everybody. You know, it seems mm-hmm. golden in retrospect, but as we know, it wasn't a great time for women. And then he talks about how directly you can see the impact on families and on their economic circumstances, in addition to their family structures, where slavery was most prevalent. And there's just such a clear through line of what we have prioritized at the expense of what else in this article. So I can't recommend enough that you spend time to really sit down and read the piece in its entirety. It is not moralizing. It is not preachy. I know people have a reaction to David Brooks sometimes because he can come across as a little bit like, I am on the mountaintop of wisdom now and I'm going to share with you what is correct. But there is so much wisdom and so much introspection in this piece. It's particularly critical of how conservatives have glorified the idea of mom-dad 2.5 kids, but done nothing to help make that a reality for more people or make it work for the people who have it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, how we don't want to judge anyone on the progressive side of the equation. And so we don't give a lot of guidance about what families should look like and about what structures are going to make for the longest term, most successful outcomes for kids in particular. So I thought the statistics in particular were just mind blowing. I try to keep a a account of times in my day where I say whoa or wow. I heard a uh, I don't even remember where I read this one time, but they were like, you should keep a surprise journal. Like every day where you have a moment, you're like, whoa, I did not expect that. That's a really important human experience. It should be leaned into. There's lots of lessons there. And what I kept looking at from this article was. I think because the impact of on women was so incredible and you saw um, the releasing of women into the workforce, um, releasing them from the, you know, the drudgery of housework, not to mention modern birth control, all these things. But because that impact was so um, big and obvious, I think that often the impact on men gets missed. I could not believe um, the statistic. By 1961, the median American man aged 25 to 29 was earning nearly 400% more than his father had earned at about that same age. And they talk about in the Muti industrialization, men got married younger. And, you know, the there's no doubt that the roles of women during this sort of golden age of the nuclear family um, and even, let's be honest, with extended the extended family structure that was earlier in history was this type of prison. But I think what often gets missed is that getting married young, having a bunch of children, and then being the sole source of income for your family, especially as 
this family unit detaches from the safety and security of an extended family unit. And so the pressure falls entirely onto the male breadwinner was a type of prison as well. And so what you see, I think, is that expectation remains the same in the same way that the that despite the fact that so many women work, we still structure the school day. So kids get out at three. What the hell? Um, assuming that there's all these stay at home moms around. The expectations for men have stayed the same as well. And, and the economy changed and the economy wasn't providing the income available to support families like that and to and to provide any sort of, you know, balance or holistic experience for men. It was all work all the time because you were supporting your entire family. And that is isolating and that is stressful. And I think that that the way that that has played out for men was really obvious in the article as well. And the experience of what that work is changed rapidly too, right? The forces of technology, the introduction Mm -hmm, of women mm -hmm. into the workplace, the entire sensibility of efficiency where every moment has to be maximized in the sense that you go to work not for friends, you go to work to work, right? And you leave your personal stuff at home. Well, where's your personal stuff go? If you don't bring it to work, And home is the business of running a household, which is every bit as complicated and demanding and sometimes much more emotionally taxing than work itself. And you don't have a support system around you. And the suburbs look more, as as he describes really well in this article, like maybe a woman pushing a stroller down the street, but most of the garage doors closed and people either out or in, uh, but not kind of together. (laughs) Where does where does your stuff go? And I think that mm-hmm. you really do see the impact of these shifts and not that the extended family is perfect. You know, the the article does a good job of talking about how stifling it can be to live in the community you were raised in, surrounded by lots of people who want to weigh in on every aspect of your life, even when you don't want them to. I don't think there is an easy answer or an obvious answer. And I don't think the answer needs to be the same for everyone. But part of what this article is saying is there are lots of different ways to arrange your life. And we need to figure out more about how to embrace those different ways. But understanding that everybody needs more support than they're getting right now. So we go into great detail about our own personal experiences with extended family and nuclear family and our own personal choices or, I don't know, I don't like the word choices, privilege. Paths. Paths. um, When it comes to family on this month's bonus episode of The Nuanced Life, we just kept talking about this article and so it became the bonus episode. So if you're interested in listening to a more extended discussion about this article, then go check it out over on Patreon. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you searching for the perfect gift? I always struggle 
with my grandmothers. I mean, how many photo calendars do they need? Let's be real. And if I take the photo calendar and I use it for Christmas, then I'm up against their birthdays going, when am I going to get them? For a really special wedding gift in particular, if that's what you're looking for, that a bride and groom will cherish forever, you've got to check out Skylight Frame. Skylight Frame is a touchscreen photo frame you can update instantly by email. Friends and family can email beautiful moments they've captured and send them right to the frame, and they will appear in seconds. You can also preload the Skylight Frame with your favorite photos from the wedding for a more personalized gift. The bride and groom will love it. Skylight is also a great gift for mom. If you constantly have mom asking you for more photos, you can just send them to her via Skylight Frame, and they will appear instantly. Skylight is super easy to use and sets up in under 60 seconds. Just plug in, connect to Wi-Fi, and enjoy. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love your Skylight, they'll offer you a full refund. As Sarah was saying, this is such a great gift for anyone that you want to stay connected to. When my first daughter was born, I emailed a photo of her every single day to her grandparents. We called it the Daily Jane. Skylight makes things like that possible all the time because it is so easy to share your photographs. As a special offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code LIFE. That's right, to get 10% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code LIFE. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com, promo code LIFE. advice question this week we heard from Katie and I love this question. She says I'm a U.S. citizen born and raised in Michigan currently living overseas. My parents recently moved to Kentucky and I found your book in their local library this past summer which got me started as a listener of Pantsuit Politics. She's been living overseas for six years and has registered to vote absentee only for the last presidential election. Katie says I also want to vote in the Democratic primary this year so we registered to vote in Kentucky where my parents are Boone County. Katie that's where I am too. I'm not sure exactly what will be included on the same ballot from Kentucky since I've never voted there before. But when I voted absentee in Michigan, there were other local elections that I was sent ballots for as well. My question is, as someone who isn't physically residing in or affected by the outcome of local elections, should I participate in them? I hear so much about our duty and privilege to vote, and I feel like more impact is made on the local level than any other level of government. But I also know I will not be personally affected by the policies of a mayor or new school levies or those kinds of local decisions. Should I vote in local elections or leave those parts of the ballot blank? So I had a very passionate conversation about this with my friend Dylan, who lives in Hungary. I'm not going to call him an expat because I think he's right. I think that is a racist term. That's just a term we use for white people for move. Everybody else we call immigrants. So he's an immigrant that lives in Hungary. And he was saying like, oh, I'm not going to participate in the Democratic primary. I live overseas. I don't care. Whoever it is, I'll vote for it. I'm like, no way, man. It's going to be close. You got to vote. We had like a big debate about it. I mean, I see his point and I see Katie's perspective that like a lot of these policies aren't going to impact me. But I also think people who live overseas have such an interesting perspective that we really need. Well, and I would argue just to the point we were talking about that they do impact you in some way because your parents live here. And if if you are impacted enough by the president of the United States to vote in the election, which I certainly think that you are and that that's important, I would weigh in in the local community, too. As a as a resident of Boone County, I welcome your perspective from overseas, Katie. (laughs) Um, I think that thinking about what would really be best for my neighbors is most of what voting is about. Mm -hmm. And 
if you feel connected enough to vote here at all, then I think you are connected enough to vote up and down the ballot because you are right. The people that you love best are going to be most impacted by who the new mayor is and who's on the city council and the, the county commission and all of those things. So I, I have no qualms whatsoever with people who don't live here every day making this decision. I think that some of that attitude comes from a scourge in, in the American mindset of if I the only way I get to weigh in on something is if I'm paying for it. Because it, I think there's this feeling that like, well, if I'm not going to pay a local tax that gets levied, maybe I shouldn't vote in the election. Well, you're still a part of the community in an important way, even if you aren't paying those local taxes. And I think we would all be better off if we decided paying for something doesn't necessarily give you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right to call the shots about it and not paying for something doesn't make your input invaluable. Amen. You should send Katie your Facebook post since she'll be oh, voting yeah. in Boone County anyway. I can definitely do that, Katie. For those of you who don't regularly listen to Pantsuit Politics, Beth puts together a Facebook post right before the election that I think is really awesome. Tell the people, Beth. Well, it's so hard to find out information about local races, and they are the most important. It's hard in Kentucky if you don't live in Lexington or Louisville to get very good information about statewide races. Mm-hmm. And so in advance of elections, I do a Facebook post to say, hi, friends and neighbors, here's what's going to be on your ballot. And here is the best article I was able to find about all the candidates running for each of these positions. So I don't care who you vote for, but I would love for you to vote and I would love for you to know something when you do. And this is my attempt to help make that easier. I think it's a great practice. One I'm going to do this year unless I deactivate my Facebook account before Election Day, which let me just put it out there is a real possibility. It's probably my most important Facebook occupying of space. <laughs> um, and and one of the few things that keeps me there, because I do get a lot of reaction to it. I mean, I think people appreciate I like to do research. I like to read those kinds of articles. And so uh, it's helpful to prepare myself to vote. And I do feel like it is um, a way other than like door knocking and other forms of political canvassing that I can encourage people to vote. So Katie, I'd be happy to send you my Facebook post if you would like it. And I encourage you to vote with us in Boone County this year. We will be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I think this time of year is really hard. The weather's kind of depressing. We're coming off that motivation of a brand new year and settling back into our routine. And a lot of our old stuff can just come up. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. 
You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read the testimonials that are posted daily. Visit BetterHelp.com com slash n l that's better h e l p and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional special offer for nuanced life listeners get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com/nl For our commemoration this week, we heard from Savitha, who has been listening for four years. She says she's a first-time caller, which I love. And she wanted to write in with a commemoration. She's feeling really bruised and battered and emotional, as most of us are, due to the current political climate and election season ramping up. She said, this was my mood when which I found myself as I headed into Lincoln Elementary School at the Oakland Unified School District to be a reading volunteer for African-American Reading Day. I had been assigned to read to two classes, kindergarten and fifth grade, and I was excited about the kindergartners. I'm an early childhood person who works with the littlest of learners. I had lots of ideas about what to read, and not only had I picked my books out weeks in advance, but I had also practiced them with my four-year-old son. I was ready. Fifth grade, though, was uncharted territory. I had many questions, including whether fifth graders even like being read aloud to and what I could possibly read to them to hold their attention. I was nervous. With the help of a wonderful librarian at my local public library, I settled on three candidate reads. Grace for President, a picture book that I liked but worried was going to seem too young to the students, a short chapter about Michelle Obama's school days from her biography, and a poem by Maya Angelou. As I walked from the train station to the school, I noticed that the neighboring streets were all named for presidents. This gave me an idea, and I made a game time call to read Grace for President. I started off my reading by listening to these streets and asking the students what they noticed about the names. Students responded with, they were presidents, they were white, they owned slaves, and finally, they were men. Sorry, I'm tearing up. You better take it over. (laughs) Given the hook I was looking for, I launched into reading the book. If you've not come across it before... Grace for President is about a little girl, Grace, who reacts to the fact that American presidents have all been men by deciding to run for president, starting with the school's mock election. It's a fun, accessible introduction to the American electoral system, but it is also a book about hard work, courage, and independent thought. I'm sure you all know where this story is heading. The students were delightful. They listened. They asked good questions like, how do you decide how many electoral votes a state gets and how many electoral votes does California have and why? They grappled wisely and well with important issues like, should we vote for our friends or for the best person for the job? And how do we know someone is the best person for the job? It was the best half hour of my day, and I could not have asked for a better salve for my soul. To all of you, here's my call to action. Find yourself a young child and go read Grace for President with them. It may be exactly what you did not know you needed during these troubling times. I love this. I have a fifth grader. Fifth graders are the best. They are thoughtful. They are really asking, starting to ask questions and look around. And just when you look through their eyes, you see things you don't otherwise see. And it's such a powerful experience that can be um, things they see that are bad (laughs) and things they see that are hopeful. And I couldn't agree more that a kid's perspective and seeing things through their eyes is just a fantastic experience. I also just think reading aloud uh, is severely underrated. 
Mm-hmm. This morning, I had two very difficult personalities in my children. My little one is sick. My older one was just very, very grumpy. I think we're starting to approach some of our uh, adolescent angst there. And after we finished breakfast, we had some time before school. And I said, hey, Jane, uh, I think you should read a book to Ellen. And within two minutes, they were giggling on the couch over the day the the crayons quit. And the funny voices that Jane was making reading it and just the book is funny itself. And they were having such a good time. And it was honestly just because they sat down and read aloud together. And I think, Savitha, that those children are going to remember you coming into their classroom for a long time. It's such a such a big deal when a non-teacher adult comes mm-hmm. into school to do something like this with you and to have this sort of conversation. And what a simple way to make a profound impact on those students and also to lift your own mood about things. Well, we hope we have lifted your mood today here on The Nuanced Life. And keep sending us your advice questions. Keep sending us your commemorations. We love hearing from you. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuance Life is listener supported. Go to patreon.com slash the nuance life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.